It's been good to walk through the book of Colossians together over the last eight weeks or so. And in this letter that was written over 2,000 years ago, I love how the Holy Spirit allowed the book that was inspired by him, written by an author, a man, and now the same principles that Paul wrote to this group at Colossae, this church at Colossians, is still applicable to today. I love how the Bible is countercultural. It, it, it crosses over generation to generation, year after year, and yet we can read it today, open it up, and it still applies to us today. There's no book in the world that can do that like the Bible can. And then it's life-changing and life-giving. So Paul was talking to this group of believers, and he hits the pause button. He talked about marriage, and now he's going to talk about family. And he gives two principles, and we're going to stay on those two principles. There's other books that talk about other things, but let's just stay and see what the Bible says right here. Paul says these two things. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he says this, fathers... Do not embitter your children, for this will discourage them. And so there's this principle of family, enjoy a relationship. And the reality is you and I as parents, whether we're a single parent or we're we're a, a, a mom and a dad in a home as parents, we only get one opportunity with our children to be a parent to them until they become an adult, until they move out on their own. So we should enjoy this time. But there are some principles here for the youth and children who have parents And there's these principles for fathers as they raise their children. And yet we've only been given so much time. So we need to seize the time that we have. There was a great illustration that was written a few years back that captures the amount of time that we have with each other. Take a look at this. I heard an illustration the other day where someone used a marble to represent every weekend they have with their kids from the time they're born till the time they leave their house. It came out to about a thousand marbles. A thousand marbles. It kind of sounds like a lot, but before you know it, those weekends start slipping away. For me, the hardest thing The thing that really broke my heart was realizing how many handfuls I've already thrown away. So much time wasted. What do I have to show for it? Life is precious. And even though I've squandered a lot of my time, Now I cherish each one of these marbles. I guess you can say that seeing how much time I waste has changed my perspective on what's important. Careers and hobbies are good things, but they certainly aren't the ultimate things I had made them before. I guess this life is all about perspective. And even though I know I can't spend every weekend with my family, I can certainly try. I can't believe before that I was so dedicated to the things that don't really matter. Me? I've got 728 marbles left. And I can't wait to enjoy each one.
powerful reminder to those of us who are parents and who are raising children that by God's grace, he gives us the opportunity to raise our kids. Uh, Ann and I are on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, by God's grace, he allowed us to raise in, uh, three children. We've got Josh, who's 26, Hannah, who's 24 and married, and Isaiah, who's 19 uh, and a sophomore at Grace College. And, and by God's grace, uh, we, we've been able to be the parents to Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah, a, a gift to us. The Bible says they're a blessing from God. And so along the way, as parents, as Ann and I, we had to make choices along the way to spend time to invest in them. And our goal was that they would love Jesus more than they loved us. Made plenty of mistakes. I'll be the first to attest to that. But as a parent, what an incredible gift it is. The Bible says that children are a reward, a blessing from him. And so we have a chance to raise our kids and to help them become the dots that God wanted them to become. The word parenting actually means to bring forth. It's to bring out of your children what God intended them to be. It means to help them be, to live to the redemptive potential. Some of you have brand new babies. Some of you have babies that are forming inside of your womb. Some of you have uh, children that are less than a year old. And, and you only have so many marbles, so many weeks, roughly a thousand a, a, a thousand weeks. And so if you put it in perspective, some of you have teenagers. If you take these teenagers and you see them, you only have about that much time. If you have children that are preteens, you have a little more time. And if you have children that are just infants, you have a significant amount of time outside of that. So if you think about it, this is the amount of time in perspective of a thousand weeks that you have left, the weeks that you have left to invest and parent your children. This is the, roughly the amount of time that you have if you have a preteen to invest in your child as a parent. And this would be the amount of time that you have left as a parent of an infant. We only have so much time. And as we jump in the text today, we realize that Paul is saying this to the church at Colossae. And he's saying to us today... This is how children should live, and this is how fathers should care for the children. And our hope is this, is that we don't waste the time, that we don't take the opportunities, that we don't allow other more supposedly pressing things, fantasy football, fantasy ball, if we don't allow extracurricular activities to take away the time, late nights playing Fortnite, instead of investing and in getting proper sleep and rearing our children, and wasting these opportunities, you never get back the weekends. You can't say, let's start over, give me that week back. You will never get it back. So every choice that we make as a mother and the father will impact our child's future. We can choose to properly use it and redeem the time or we can throw them away. So what are these principles that God, through Paul, is showing us today. Grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up today, and we'll, we'll, the ushers will give you one. But let's read Colossians chapter 3, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21. Please stand with me as we read God's Word, and let's just take a close look at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20. 20 and 21. Let's read it together. Ready, read. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Just read it again. 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. You may have a seat. Pretty quickly, like I could say, in Jesus' name, amen. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Get out of here. Go do that. If we did that, we would be living according to God's word. And let me just say a few things about the Bible itself. There are great resources out there, books on parenting, that that we, my wife and I, are grateful for, that God has impacted men and women with wisdom, and, and we're grateful for them. And we've used them, we've applied them, and many of the principles our children have had brought to them. But I just want to say that there's no better parenting book than the Word of God. And if we follow the principles of God's Word, if you want to know what you should do as a parent, just pick up the Bible, and it's loaded with examples. Here's what we know to be true first, Paul is saying. Obedience is the pathway to blessing. So children, youth that are in this room, those of you who are, under, who, who are 18 and under and still in school, I believe that's the prime age to raise your children. And if you're 30 still living at home, you need to get out. But, but, but 18 and under and you're still in school, you still have your parents overseeing you and parenting you. And Paul says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. What's your responsibility? What's my responsibility? As a child that's 18 or under. To obey our parents in how much? What does it say? Oh, come on. Parents, this is your chance. That's it? Obey your children or your parents in what? Are you, is there any parents over here? Obey your parents in what? There we go. Because you know you want to say that. Now go home and do that, kids. In Jesus' name, amen. But that's the principle. But here's why. It pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. We can't just go there without talking about the context of Scripture. Why did Paul write this? Do you ever wonder why some of these basic principles in Scripture, like, well, we should know that. Like, that's basic. I mean, it's, we should know that. Here's why that was written. If you didn't know this, the culture of this time in which this letter was delivered, as the person who read this letter from Paul stood in front of these new Christians, think about this, Jesus had been on the scene not many years before that, had had ascended to heaven, and now this whole group of believers called Christians, people of the way, who are now turning culture different in a different direction, or living, trying to live counter-cultural to what the culture, Roman culture was at that time, Paul is saying, now listen, you're Christians, you need to live differently. And the reason you need differently is because as Roman culture during that time, children were not even considered to be of any more value than livestock. Children were not of any more value than an asset of land or a purchase. In fact, children in Roman culture... A dad would stand up if he saw a piece of land down the road. Hey, I'm going to get that 50 acres. He would pull, hey, Junior, come here a second. He'd pull Junior up and say, Junior, I'm going to trade you for that land. And so Paul is now jumping into this culture, a Roman culture, and saying, listen. No, 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 not, not as Christ followers. Not as Christ followers. Hey, we're going to love our kids. And, and, and so children, many of the children during this time hated their fathers. Many of the children during this time hated their moms. Why? Because they were worth nothing more than an asset to make a barter deal to buy land or to buy more livestock. And so Paul's jumping in. He's reading this to this church who many are new believers. Don't, don't lose that. Some of you are new believers. And so you're trying to figure out, how do I be a Christian? 
How do I be a Christian in Goshen? How do I live in this world? Some of you have been raised in Christian home. There are many in this place. This is all new to you. And so it was the same for the church at Colossians. And, and so he's saying to them, listen, don't live like you used to as Romans. I want you children to obey your parents in everything. Not run. Not disobey because it pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't you dare embitter your children. Because this will discourage them. The truth is, this kind of living by children of the day and fathers of that day would look very different as Christians. And they would receive criticism. Dads would receive criticism. You mean you're loving your kid? Wow, you said something nice to them. You mean you really care about your son? You mean you helped them along? They would receive criticism because it was counterculture. Remember a couple weeks ago I say, as Christians, Paul was saying, bring heaven down. Culture, not culture up. We're supposed to live like we're going to be in eternity. And so he's looking at this group and saying, and he's looking today and saying, Fathers, do not embitter your children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see, let me hit the pause button here a second and say this. This is for children and not adult children too. The Bible gives some other principles when we become adults and we have parents. It's just to honor a mother and a father. And we've had plenty of talks on that. And we should honor them, respect them. But here's the reality is once you become an adult and you're adulting, you get advice from your parents, but you don't obey your parents. You seek the Lord and seek counsel from multiple witnesses and you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. But you don't have to obey everything. But as a child in the house of your home, Paul is saying, children, obey your parents in everything. This is why it's so important to make the most of every opportunity as parents. We have an opportunity. We only have so many weeks, 1,000 weeks roughly, to pour in our children. And and so the reality is make the most of this opportunity. And children, as as your parents give you instruction, God wants you to obey them. And the reason he wants you to obey them is that there's this favor and blessing that rests upon your life as a result of it. And I would even say into adulthood. When you obey your parents. Can I just ask a couple questions to parents out there today? Have you become so consumed with other family things that your children have been placed on a back burner? You're trying to achieve this new whatever it is. You want this new and this venture. And all of a sudden you say, I'm going to be gone this weekend. I'm going to be gone for six weeks. I'm going to be gone for ten weekends. When in reality, you know in the back of your mind and your heart, there's this thing. I should be home investing in this beautiful gift that the Bible says is a blessing from the Lord. You see, it's a full-time job. And as you raise your children and live out Jesus in front of them, always remember this though. God will never call you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. And he never sends you without him going with you. He is always with you and he loves your children way more than you could ever do it. But don't renege on the responsibility God has given us. There is no, no replacement for your physical presence and your words of encouragement through the journey. Yet we get so backed up trying to buy our kids love back. Well, I couldn't be with them so I bought them this. I couldn't be there so I sent them this. And I couldn't be there. I chose not to be there and be with them, so I did this for them. 
You see, we get so backed up, and our culture says, culture up says, hey, you don't have to be in the picture. Let other people do the, send them to church, sure. We need a second voice and a third voice. But if you're sending your kids to church for them to learn about Jesus because you've reneged on that responsibility, then, then Paul and, and all through the Bible is saying, wait a minute, take a close look. We have an opportunity to pour into our kids. Do life with them and not just for them. Parents, just take a close look at the last couple months of your life. Are your children getting leftovers of your time? Or are they getting the first fruits? Because you only have so much time. And we have an opportunity, and time is slipping, 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 slipping into the future. And so the investment and deposits that we make make a difference in our kids' lives. And hear me out, children and, and, and youth. Obedience is not counting to 10. Your mom and dad saying, I count to 10 and you better do that. Have you ever seen that? You ever seen a parent? One, two, three and a half, three and three quarters, seven eighths. And your kids don't even understand fractions, but you're holding on, hoping, hoping they obey. And the reality is that's not instructing your kids or leading your kids, and that's not obeying your parents it's not parents obey your children either. Because rules without relationship causes rebellion. It's not tell them that you will give them what they want if they stopped acting like a child. All of us have seen it. Maybe your own kids. You've been there. Have you ever seen a kid in, a, in the department store that is at his end? Like he's at his end and he's laying on the floor stomping his feet and pounding his fist. Have you ever seen that? And you ever seen a parent grab him by the hair and throw him in the cart? You've never seen it, I think. But at that moment right there, something's wrong. Something's wrong if that child, if that, that child is screaming and yelling and, that, and a parent comes up and says, listen, I'll buy you some ice cream if you stop. I'll give you a sucker if you stop. Mike and Ike's at the counter if you stop. If you are bribing them to stop something, here's what happens. It happened this week in our son Joshua is a sophomore at Grace College, plays golf for Grace College, and they were in a tournament this weekend at Blackthorn. So was, we spent Friday evening and yesterday watching Josh or Isaiah play golf, and I kid you not, 20-year-old young man playing alongside of Isaiah the first day. He hit a bad shot. He takes his club and he throws it at his bag, just chucks it at his bag. Like it's a $500 driver, number one. Just chucks it at his bag. Mad, stomps over and thought, well, he must have had a bad evening. Misses a putt, same round, misses a putt, misses about a four foot putt, takes the ball, chucks it on into the green, puts a divot in the green. The ball is rolling, comes back down. Isaiah is putting, is just as calm as can be, is putting while this ball is rolling. Took a putter around his neck and began to bend it like I was waiting for it to snap. Kicking his back, he actually made a bad chip, took his pitching wedge and chucked it out across there. And, and I'm thinking, what is going on? This is a 20-year-old boy. That's what he was. Meanwhile, this is all happening while his father and his mother stand there and watch this take place. And I said something to Ann. I said, I'm so proud, and we are so proud of Isaiah. Sure, he hits bad shots, and 
in those putts that he missed, but he never throws a club. And I said this to him, I bet he was the kid in Target. <laughs> I bet he was. And I bet the parent let him get away with it. And I bet they, come on, stop, 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 Junior, I'll buy you ice cream. And I bet that child grew up believing because in his mind, it wasn't okay And he could get away without obeying his parent and everything because it pleased the Lord. And in some way, mom and dad had dropped the ball and tried to buy his behavior instead of letting him know that the heart from within must be changed so that he can become the person that God wants him to become. Teach him things. Our role is to teach him things so that they can stand on their own feet as adults. You see, what you're passing on to your children, they'll remember forever. Are you passing on faith? Are you passing on a love for Jesus? Do your children know how to even handle finances? Would would your children, in their first adulting experience as a married couple, would they naturally say, would the husband say, we are tithing, no questions asked? Would your children, as they turn into adults, say, hey, we moved into this neighborhood, so we need to meet our neighbors, and we need to know them by name, and we need to be writing down their names, and we should be sharing our home, and open up our house because our marriage, the purpose of our marriage is to make disciples. So as the husband, is that what the husband is saying to the wife and the children are hearing that we're making disciples? So when they're on their own, are they making decisions that you've taught them biblical decisions so that they can stand on their feet? Or once they become adults, are they doing what culture says to do? Are they worshiping together? We live in a world where, where the generation alive now, once they get out, of the, get out of the house, they don't go back to church until they have children and they consider going back to church. And why is that? I have some ideas. Because at some point while they were a kid in high school, a sporting event or something else became more important. And mom and dad says, I'll pay for you to be part of that so that you can achieve and be really good at. But we don't need to go to church on Sunday. Listen, what are you teaching and instructing your kids? Parents, we must be unified on what it is that we want our children to do, too. You see, let me just say this to children today. Your parents really do love you. And the most courageous thing you can do, hear me out, you want to be courageous, is just to obey them. Amen, parents? Because it pleases God. And if you want the favor and blessing of God in your high school and in your junior high, and you want to become an adult that has the favor of God on you, then obedience to your parents, that blessing walks with you into marriage or into your singleness for many years, whatever choice you make. Why do I know that? Because 1 Samuel 2.30 says that whoever honors God, he will honor. And whoever despises God, he will disdain. Show me a child that obeys his parents in everything, and I will show you an adult that has the blessing of God on their life. We must be unified, too, on this. And I know how difficult. I don't pretend that there are situations where mom might love Jesus and dad doesn't, where dad loves Jesus and mom might. There might be situations where single parent and and, and there's a stepfather or stepmother. I understand that that is a reality. I'm, I'm a product. You, you know that my mom and my dad 
divorced when I was four and a half years old. I, I, I live in those realities. So I have a real heart for broken families and divorced families and stepchildren. I, I, I was that child. But here's what I know. God can trump all that. He can trump it. See, our God can do anything. And I am so personally grateful. I'm a product of where God stepped in and turned something horrible into something beautiful. And he can do that for you. Don't ever not believe that. But we must be unified. If you're married or, or, or you're single parent again, somehow you've got to come to unity on this, this, this X factor, this other person. There must be unity. And if you're married now, you must be unified. One person said this. What often happens in relationships and parenting is one becomes the enforcer of the rules and one doesn't enforce the rules. One, one wants to just have their children love them and like them, and the other one becomes the cop, and the other one becomes the clown. And a child soon finds out who the cop is and who the clown is. And so if you're not unified, you're giving them one instruction that they can get away with. That, hey, get, get, let me give you something. If you stop doing that, I'll feed you. And one comes along, get up, or you're being disciplined. You must be unified in this. Or the child, they're not dumb. Not dumb at all. Know what they do? They take that and they use that as a wedge. And so much like you would take a, a wedge like this and split wood, you can't get apart. They see who the cop and the clown is, and so they use it. Mom said this, but dad said that. Mom said I could do it, but dad wouldn't let me. I'm going to mom. And what happens is your child becomes the wedge between you. And before you know it, you're divided because you're not united on how to raise your children. And keep in mind this, children, teenagers today, your parents aren't perfect. I'm not perfect and will never be perfect. Only God is perfect. But keep in mind, they really do love you. And they really want to see you become the person that God intended you to be. On the other hand, if you're not resting parents and your identity in Jesus, you will look for your identity in your children. This happens so frequently. I watch parents through the years lose their brains when their child was benched in a basketball game. Mad at the coach. Upset because their child didn't get a chance to play. When in reality, they shouldn't be playing. Because their identity was wrapped in the success of their child. And instead of the, their identity should be wrapped in their identity of who they are in Jesus Christ. A unified voice is essential. Can I say this to those of you who are separated or been divorced? Please never speak disparagingly of your ex. Here's why I say that. Because the person that you don't like anymore, that you're not married to anymore, that person that you don't even like to say their name, that's still your kid's mommy or daddy. And when you say things disparagingly about them in forums or in public, especially social media, when you speak poorly about them, what you're saying to your child, hear me out. You're looking at your sons and daughters and saying, choose who you will love. Don't do that to them. 
that's still their mom and their dad, regardless if you went separate ways. Be unified, and, and, and even I would say this, take the high road and say, we might not be married anymore, we might not even like any, each other anymore, but for the sake of our children, I will not speak disparagingly about their parents. Can I get an amen out of that? And I know it's difficult because we're human. It's imperative, too, that we keep Jesus central in our families. While that might seem to be a no-brainer, it's often moved to the lowest of the priority list in raising our children. Anna and I's personal value has always been this. We wanted to raise our children to love Jesus more than they loved us. And I know that's hard because I love it when my kids love me. Like, we love our children. And I honest, I sent them a text this morning as I was thinking about this message. And I said these words to them. I, I love you so much and I'm so grateful that you love Jesus. I said the greatest gift that you've ever given you, me and your mom, was that you love Jesus. And thank you for loving Jesus. But we must keep Jesus at the center. Let me ask a few questions, and I want you just to answer these. Don't raise your hand. I want you to just check off this list when it comes to raising your children. I believe your children should own a Bible before they own a phone. I believe that with all my heart. I believe they should understand the realities of heaven and hell before they understand the realities of Fortnite. I believe that your children and our children should share their faith before they share their contact information in their phone. I believe your children should put on the armor of God every morning before they put on under armor. I believe with all my heart that our children should know God before they know some goddess. I believe our children should understand forgiveness and repentance before they play the game sorry. I believe our children should hide God's word in their heart before they give their hearts away. I believe our children should pray before they pay. I believe that our children should understand that God created the world before building a resume. I believe that our children should know that Jesus works all things out for good to those that love him before someone that loved them walks away. And I believe with all of my heart as parents that our children should read their Bibles before they read a Snapchat. You see, what if they grow up and they're successful in business? What if they grow up and they love you and they buy you things and they even help you in retirement and they set you up with a dream home and you never have to worry about another thing, but they don't love Jesus. Have we really, really succeeded as parents? It would break my heart and my wife's, wife's heart if Josh, Hannah, or Isaiah didn't love Jesus and they loved us more than they loved Jesus. You see, that's our primary responsibility. Somehow, we need to bring heaven down instead of culture up. Culture says, buy, build, bring, climb. Jesus says, humble, lower yourself, love me. 
If we raise children that love Jesus, the world has yet to see a generation of children and youth and adults that shamelessly, courageously, and bravely run after him. You want to see the world come to Christ? Let's teach our children to love Jesus more than they love us. So then Paul says this, he says, dads, he jumped into this culture because in this culture, it was like kids weren't worth anything. Don't embitter your children. In our culture, why is it relevant? Because we've acquiesced as dads. We've just kind of just gotten into our professions and our journeys and we're seeking our thing. And and it's so subtle. We just sign up for this and we sign up for that. We go away for that and go away from this. And meanwhile we got these kids at home. Weeks are passing by, and we're just throwing the weeks away, going on these places and pursuing these careers and, and wanting to notice and recognition and building our resumes. And meanwhile, our kids are dying and screaming, where's dad? We have an incredible opportunity, dads, and, and you know my heart, and this is why I believe God has given us such an incredible opportunity as fathers. We can influence our children like no one else on earth can. Our moms can, the dads, wives can. But listen, we as fathers shape the worldview of our girls and daughters. Don't you realize if, if, if they know, if a young girl knows that her father is in the picture, she believes when she grows up, that God will always be with her. If, if a, a girl grows up and dad is absent and busy chasing his basketball leagues and, and his football fantasy sports and his baseball stuff and his career and his second half and he doesn't have, what she grows up to see her view of God is that God is distant. He wants nothing to do with me. We have an opportunity to take these thousand weeks and pour in our children and help our girls to grow up and say, there's a good God out there. There's a God who'll never leave me nor forsake me. There's a God that loves me as far as the east is from the west, and I love him. We have that chance. Let me ask some questions to dads. If you're a father who is out of touch with your children, pause and reflect and answer these questions. Where will your son learn how to treat a woman? Who will teach your little girl her true worth in Jesus Christ? You going to let some teenage boy rob her of that? Not on, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Where will they learn to stand up for what is right in this world if we're missing? Who will instruct them on the values of an education? Where will a good work ethic come from? Where will your child learn about the importance of abstaining from substance abuse and illicit sexual activities? Where will they learn to obey authority? How will your children learn to love and respect God and others and themselves? Listen, if you don't teach them, the stats don't lie. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes, not just Dad not in the picture, but an absent dad. 90% of all runaways and homeless children, hear me out, are from fatherless homes. You know why? Because dad 
chose not to be in the picture. Dad chose not to be in the picture. Don't waste these formative years. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 20 times the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. Adults from fatherless homes are 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. But the good news is this. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get an A in school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. Even in high crime neighborhoods, stats show us that 90% of children from stable two-parent homes where the father is involved do not become delinquents. Adolescent girls raised in two-parent homes with involved fathers are significantly less likely to be sexually active than girls raised without involved fathers. And so Paul says, listen to me. Here's what he says. Please, dads, don't embitter your children. What does that mean? Don't exasperate. Don't agitate. Don't suck the breath and life out of them. Because if you do, they will lose heart and be discouraged. The best way I can give you that picture is this. We have this calling on our lives as, as fathers. To breathe life into our kids. It's much like this ball that's flattened. Our opportunity is to pour in. Encourage means, means to put in. Discourage means to take out. We get to speak into their lives. We get to be involved in their lives and tell them who they are in Christ. We get this opportunity to help them become what their intended purpose was to become. And as we breathe life into them, as we pump it into them and tell them who they are in Christ, and as we love them, care for them, protect them, teach them, instruct them, they become who God intended them to become. We encourage instead of discourage. But Paul says, listen, the reality is that many are embittering, taking life out. says don't embitter don't suck the life out pour it into them so that they won't lose heart so how do you do that what are some of the checklists you would say here's some things pastor jim what are some ways that i might be i i i, I, I need facts i need figures I, I i need ideas here they are here's some ways where children were interviewed and they ask how, do you, how does your dad exasperate you? How does your dad embitter you? What are the ways your dad is doing this? And here were some things that came up. When dads are quick to point out their faults instead of quick to point out what they've done well. Aren't we good at that? Like, we see, they can do 10 things. They could have done 10 things that day. 
But as soon as they do one thing, we hammer them for it. That's embitter. Correcting them without instructing them. Have you ever seen a parent? Have you ever seen a parent come along or dad come along? A child misbehaves and they just bam. And they just walk on. They don't instruct them and tell them. They just correct, correct, correct. Child has no idea what they've done wrong. When you're grumpy and you have no joy in your life. I come home from work and you're tired and grumpy and you, you come on. How was your day? You wake up and need coffee. And all they know is afraid to come to you and even talk to you because it's been a bad day. And mom says, looks at you, how was your day? It was hard, hard, hard. Child's like, I'm going to get near dad. You talk to dad. That's embittering. You should come home, grab a hold of and say, it's a great day to be alive. Praise Lord for another day of life. And if this is my last day, my next breath is with Jesus in heaven. Amen. That's how we should live. Another way you embitter is when you're more generous with yourself than with them. Let's take a look at your toys. Who's got the most toys? Oh, Pastor Jim, you talking about my truck? I'm talking about your truck. Oh, Pastor Jim, you talking about my 17 guns? I'm talking about your 17 guns. Oh, Pastor Jim, you talking about my 40 pair of Nikes? I'm talking about your 40 pair of Nikes. Who are you more generous with, yourself or them? That embitters when you keep buying stuff for yourself and you don't do something for them. When you place them as a low priority and try to buy their love back. And you know it's happening. You're like, I'm going away. And say, hey, I'll leave this money for you and mom. Go out and have a great weekend on me. They want dad. They don't want your money. When you refuse to say I'm wrong, I'm sorry. When you don't offer grace. When you set unrealistic expectations on your children. When you show favoritism with another child. Can I speak about favoritism for a while? Sometimes we say this. Well, that child is older, so this child has to wait till they get that age before we give them what we gave this kid at that age. You've all, we've all been guilty of that. Like somehow in our minds, we think there's an age that we show favor. I think it's when maturity takes place that we show favor. They might reach that level of understanding before your firstborn did or your secondborn did. See, see, in our minds, we think we can't do it. We can't do it. If we, if we wait, we got to wait till the 18. Everyone got a phone at seventh grade. So we're going to wait. You're, you're going to have the flip phone until you're 21. It's maturity and not age always. Can we raise children too who are not too attached to earth? And who aren't overly afraid of death? Like, why should our children be afraid of death if they know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior? Why should we be afraid to die? We should be raising kids who are on the front lines with Jesus Christ. And if Paul said this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We should believe that. Teach them that this life is uncertain and hard, but their future is certain and better because more than they could ever imagine because heaven is waiting in eternity with Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? You see, dads, your child is vulnerable to Satan's lies, and so are you. And you in need to protect them and prepare them for an all-out assault on their souls from the enemy. The point of parenting is godliness, 
and godliness in your children sets them up with the favor and blessing of God on their lives so that when they begin the whole adulting experience, they ask this question, what should I do here? Wow, this is what dad and mom said because the Bible says to do it. Here's the good news today, and I'm grateful for it too as a parent. Jesus, Jesus and his grace loves our children far more than we ever could. And his grace can make up for all our dumb mistakes. Amen? But guess what? You need to teach your kids that too. Can we stand and close in prayer? I want you to do something as you stand. If you're married, if you're married and you have children, I want you to grab the hand of your wife or put your arm around her shoulder. If you're married and you have children that aren't adults, I want you to put your arm around your husband or your wife. If you're children and you're seated with your parents, I want you to get close to mom and dad. You don't have to hug them. But if that's comfortable for you, it is in our family. We still give kisses on the cheeks to our boys and our daughter. Whatever's comfortable. I want you to become a family unit somehow together. Maybe you grab hands. I want to pray for you. Please, God, this is my request. And this was my request all week as I was thinking about this moment. I pray, God, that you restore the brokenness in homes. I pray, God, that, that the fathers would lead the way and just love you with all their heart, soul, and mind. And, and they would model Christ in front of their kids. And I pray that they would see the best love that they have was to love their mom. <laughs> and I pray, God, for moms, I, I pray that they would love you with all their hearts and, and that both mom and dad would find identity in you. And I, I pray that children would be willing to go countercultural to what their own classmates are saying and doing. And I pray that, God, that you would reward them. And I pray that there should be this unusual peace that comes when they stand up when no one else is willing to. I pray for great wisdom. Maybe there's areas that moms and dads need to pull away this afternoon and, and get unified on. And God, I pray this, that from the seats of Grace Community Church and the families that are represented here in each service in, in the North Auditorium and the South Auditorium at the 845 and the 1015 and the 1145 service that you would raise up a brand new generation that brings heaven down and not culture up. I pray that from these seats and these homes and this community comes Christ followers that that run after you unashamedly. And I pray that marriages are restored and reconciliation takes place. I pray for healing where there's brokenness. I pray for unity where there's disunity. I pray, God, that there would be a, a fresh revival amongst the children and the youth and the families here. And I pray that the world would see what they haven't seen in a long, long time. Children that obey their parents in everything fathers that do not embitter their children. And I pray, God, that you would give them the necessary strength, the courage to stand up when the enemy whispers otherwise. And I pray that there would just be this unusual wave of your grace, this unusual 
wave of your forgiveness, this unusual wave of reconciliation and hope and faith. And I pray that this community would be one to Jesus because the family's intact and centered on Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.